Hey there, and welcome to The Pseudo Show, a brand new Destination Linux network production. Today, we will respond to your feedback and discuss the value of the open source community, how to get connected, and tips to start contributing to your favorite projects. All that and more, today on The Pseudo Show. Welcome to the Pseudo Show, your home for all things enterprise open source. I'm Eric, the IT guy, and joining me every episode is the inescapable Brandon Johnson. I was thinking, Brandon, let's steal an idea from our friends over at the Destination Linux podcast. Why don't you tell me about what projects you've been working on this week? Is it stealing or are we forking the idea? <laughs> I, I like that. Okay. It's official. We're forking the idea. So I've been working on a customer project and, you know, just basically death by spreadsheet and uh Next part of that is death by PowerPoint. Yeah, we'll be uh, I'll be working on that for the next few weeks, but thankfully I was able to fit in some time for show prep and uh, hanging out with you this evening. Oh, that that sounds absolutely miserable. But uh, things have been pretty crazy over here this week. Our team got approval to build a hardware lab, so as a result, I've been putting together quotes and requesting POs, all the paperwork that comes before the joy of playing with your new hardware. On top of that, my family and I have been house hunting but I still found some time to play around in my DigitalOcean lab. Just earlier today, I was working on deploying some of my key utilities like NextCloud in Podman containers. I, I recently discovered that Fedora 32 released an early version of Podman Compose, so I'm really excited to give that a go. Looking forward to hearing uh, how, uh, how that goes with uh, Podman Compose. I started playing with it. I haven't dug into it too much, but I can't wait to hear what you think of it. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll see how it goes, and uh, I'll report back to the class here uh, in a couple of weeks. So I wanted to take a moment and thank everyone for tuning in. I mean, we were just absolutely blown away uh, by the support that we got for episode one. I, I, last time I checked, the numbers were well over 1,000, and that's just for our first episode. So I really appreciate everyone uh, subscribing and, and promoting the show, and we're, we're really excited to, to move forward. If you just started listening this episode... I highly recommend you head over to our website, sudo.show, to catch the first episode uh, entitled, What is Enterprise Open Source? And then subscribe to get all of our future content. We are so excited to let you know that the Pseudo Show now has a sponsor, Bitwarden. Bitwarden is the easiest and safest way for individuals, teams, and business organizations to store, share, and sync sensitive data. If that wasn't enough reason to use it, Bitwarden is 100% open source software and even lets you self-host if you'd like. There was a dark age where I didn't use a password manager at all, and since have tried a number of solutions, but they all felt like something was missing. For me, these solutions were missing the trust factor. A password manager is all about trust, and how can you trust a product if their creators don't trust their users? Bitwarden trusts their customers by making their software open source and auditable. I love this dedication to the community. Not too long ago, I moved off my old solution over to Bitwarden. I was shocked at how easy it was. You can do the same by following their excellent migration guides. Just head on over to bitwarden.com slash DLN and get started today for free. Like me, when you see how awesome the service is, you'll be able to get even more features for just $10 a year. Thank you to Bitwarden for sponsoring the Pseudo Show and the Destination Linux Network. We had some conversations with the community after we published episode one. And a lot of those questions, a lot of the conversations were around contributing to open source. Brandon and I had a rough plan for what we wanted the first few episodes to be. But hey, like we said, this show embraces DevOps. So for episode two, we decided to pivot. It didn't take us very long, did it, Brandon? <laughs> but we wanted to get into this topic of how to become a contributor, whether it's code, money, people, 
whatever the case may be, uh, we wanted to dive into this conversation of, of how do you get started with the open source community? It's, it's, it's a big, broad topic, but we wanted, to, we wanted to kind of unpack that a little bit. So Brandon, why don't you start? How did, how did you start working with the community? Eric, that's a good question. I mean, I've been involved at least as an advocate for free software and open source since I was about 12 years old. Um, it's been a long time since I originally got involved in free software. You know, when I got involved, I just wanted to learn about Linux and programming. At this point, I'd already had learned QBasic and Turbo Pascal, but I wanted to start to learn more useful languages like C, Java, and other languages that were springing up at that time. Basically, when I was uh, when I was that age, I picked up a book. It had a Red Hat Linux 5. Again, that's Red Hat Linux 5. So this is 1998, I believe. Not to be confused with Red Hat Enterprise Linux 5. Yeah, absolutely. And I installed that on the family computer. Shortly after that, my dad bought me a second-hand 486DX4 machine. So... <laughs> uh, that, so that was uh, great. So I could do all uh, play with Linux. I've been a code contributor on and off to various projects, but I haven't made what I would consider uh, major contributions in several years. Probably the only contributions I've made have been through promoting open source uh, technologies, whether that's through my job or through other means. But open source has been a huge influence in my life. I actually bet my career on open source succeeding 15 years ago. At that time, using Linux and open source software was still viewed by many as, as just for hobbyists. And it wasn't meant for enterprise use. Uh, that, you know, that, that was really my roots. I mean, but what, what was funny is when I started, st really started getting into this, I actually, Solaris and an AIX administrator actually told me that Linux was a poor man's Unix and I should rethink my position if I wanted a career in IT or development long term. I actually worked with a guy who, who made that same comment. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's been, you know, that's how I got started is just, uh, you know, and, and it was a different, you know, when I got started, it was completely different than it is today. I actually think it's easier to get involved in open source today than it was when I started in the mid to late 90s. So Eric, what, how did you get involved? I, I spent almost a decade as a Linux systems administrator. I can working one particularly challenging day, coming home and collapsing into my, into my desk chair uh, and pulling up my search engine and typing in how to be a better Linux systems administrator. To my surprise, the results weren't about picking up a, a technical skill or advertising some code boot camp. Instead, it was forums discussing podcasts. It was links to local meetups uh, like LUGS, Linux user groups. Uh, the results were all about the people. And it, it was kind of a shock, really. You just assume in, in a technical field that, that the way to get better is to become more technical. But uh, I, I spent the next couple of years listening to podcasts, uh, learning about open source, and I eventually started getting engaged on platforms like Telegram or IRC in different communities, such as Fedora or uh, Gnome. And as I got more involved, I started guest hosting on podcasts and speaking at conferences. And that's actually how you and I met, Brandon. Yep. So I think I may have submitted only a couple of pull requests ever. I definitely have never submitted any co actual code, but I know as an end user, I've submitted bug reports and feature requests. Mostly though, with my skill set, I find that being an activator, I, I, almost an influencer is the way I can best contribute back. And, and the pseudo show is a huge part of that. What really struck me was that the open source community is just this crazy phenomenon that 
that has hasn't been seen ever in in our history. It's is one of the most diverse communities on the planet, both geographically, demographically, economically, the the variety of skill sets and 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 industries that are represented. It, it's just this huge ecosystem of content and code and people and and ideas. If you look at something like the Linux code base itself, there's thousands of people over the the history of the Linux kernel that have contributed. That's thousands of people that have that have contributed to, to this one thing. And it's not something tangible that you can hold. It's code. It's digital. And so it's it's just this huge undertaking because the Linux kernel is just one of literally thousands of projects that are out there. It, it takes all kinds. It, we need all of these different, all these different backgrounds. You've got developers, and what people don't really think about is that you need translators, you need end-user testing, you need marketers, you need graphic designers, you need project managers. There's there's all these different skill sets that that are needed in the community. If you really want to boil it down, if you can do it, there is a need for that. In fact, there was a member of the GitLab community I remember hearing about. He's a high school English teacher, and he prides himself on not being technically savvy at all. He's not an IT person. He's not really even a computer person. And and he brags about this, but he contributes to open source. And and his niche that he's found is he he takes that he takes that non-tech bias perspective. Because if you think about it, I mean, technology has so many different languages within itself. Call them dialects. I mean, everyone has their own acronyms. Uh, and, and he really prides himself on not being biased to those terms. So he can read project documentation and, and he can go in there and make corrections and make it easier to, to read, make it flow better. It, it's really interesting to, to talk to different people and see what they do. That's actually a really good example of a non-technical user being able to contribute. Like technical writers, they may or may not be technical, and that is one thing I think is greatly missing in open source is great technical writers that write doc that write the documentation that we actually need to refer to to run this software. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And it, and it, it comes back to this myth. And and I don't know who started it. I, I wish we could track that person down and and take away their take away their computer or something, because the, there's this myth that open source contributors are all developers. And that, that's just absolutely not true. Like you said, there's technical writers. There's there's all these different uh, industries and skill sets that that are are used to to make up the community. And, and what's amazing is in this community, there it's so diverse and it's so broad, it's so vast that you can really find a place, you can find a niche, and you can you can make a difference. You know, one thing that, that that's been getting a lot of attention over the last few years is Open EMR. There's this huge push, uh, both from from hospitals, from from end users, from governments to move all medical records to electronic form. So these open EMR projects are getting a ton of attention right now to help fuel that that move. And, and it's great to think that something as critical as as the medical field is is now going to be built and run off of open source. Yeah, it's become a way more important, especially now with the pandemic and COVID-19. You know, you've talked about code contribution, you know, contributions to projects. I mean, it goes way beyond code. And you don't need to be a developer to contribute to an open source project. Now, one of the things that I highly recommend to people that want to get involved in the community is at first, try to find a project that you actually have an interest in, in succeeding and start contributing to it. You're more likely to be interested in the project's future if you actually use the project. So for example, 
I recently contributed just two uh, lines in a configuration file so that this piece of software called Projector, which is a program that works with the Logitech Spotlight Presentation Remote, I own one of those, but I also own another uh, presentation remote. It's uh, the Lenovo ThinkPad X1 Travel Mouse. And I use that uh, when I'm, because I know I will forget it, but that Travel Mouse is always in my briefcase. I found this project a few months ago, and I'm like, you know what, this, I think this could work. I noticed that there was a three other presentation remote devices, and they were unrelated to that Logitech remote. I noticed that he just had the, the device ID inside of this configuration file, and I just uh, went in, made sure it would compile, and it, and it worked. And then he accepted my pull request, and he mentioned that he was looking at adding like a feature uh, to this, and he asked me to test it, the uh, original um, maintainer of the project. So that, I mean, that it's a, was a very simple way of contributing to that project. I want to touch on that for just a second, because what, what you did was you, you had a problem that was specific to your use case, but yet instead of just fixing it yourself and jotting it down in, in a note-taking app or in a notebook, you actually shared it back. Yeah. yeah, it may just be two lines in a configuration file, but what you did was you shared that back, you improved that that project, but even more than that, you initiated a relationship. Now that developer sees that you have an interest in his in his project and he's found someone he can he can lean on and say, "Hey, I've got this idea, will you help me try it out?" Mm -hmm. And now this project now supports the Logitech projector, the Lenovo X1 uh, travel mouse and uh, three other uh, presentation remotes. So I added more to his user base just by adding that th those additional lines. So I would never be able to do what you just did. I'd never be able to write in a feature or, or enable hardware like that. But one thing that as a systems administrator, I've, I've really taken an interest in is this concept of, of making puppet manifests or Ansible roles and playbooks public. So you look at you look at a site like Ansible Galaxy, or you look at people's blogs and their linked uh, GitHub repositories. They've got their automation scripts right there, and instead of writing your own, because there's let's let's face it, there's only so many different ways to install something like Apache. You can share those out, you can make them public, and you can improve on it so that one one manifest would actually be able to install on. Ubuntu or Fedora or even Red Hat Enterprise Linux. So not only are we starting to build code and build projects and applications, but even the automation, even the infrastructure piece is, is starting to become open source and, and starting to become shared across platforms like GitHub and Ansible Galaxies. Yeah. You know, if you do work for a company that is friendly to open source contributions, you know, not all companies are. Um, I've worked for companies that are very hostile to open source contributions. But if you do work for a company that is friendly to it, contribute those uh, those things. So Ansible playbooks are not IP. Every, they're easily reproducible. Just make sure that uh, if you do contribute them, just make sure that uh, your company's root passwords aren't hard-coded in them. <laughs> yeah, we've we've seen a number of major vulnerability issues from uh, from developers leaving leaving root passwords in their configurations. <laughs> Yeah, and I'm not saying just go go, go check in your your entire company's portfolio of uh, Ansible roles and playbooks or puppet manifests. Obviously, get approval. Make sure that's okay. But that is a good way of contributing. 
so you've you've actually gone through this process. You you've found a need, you've you've filled it, you submit it back to the developer, and that that change has been accepted. But someone like myself who who doesn't do this very often, how would I get started? I come across a project that I love, I see a need, what do I do? What I would do is I'd go look at the issues on, on the issues tab uh, of the project. And there's a lot of projects are going to put things like first time contributor tags or, or just eat, you know, or they'll tag them as easy or great first time code, you know, early code or something like that, that from a developer perspective, they're, pro- they're those are probably more common, but I've also seen first time contributor tags for documentation and other use cases. So I think that's a good place to, to pause and, and reiterate that point, is if you are a developer and you do own an open source project, use the issues. If, if you're using GitLab or GitHub, actually fill that stuff in. Let people know what you're working on. Let, let people know what, what you've seen that needs improvement, because you never know when, when a, one of your users is going to come along and go, hmm, I've got an itch to scratch. Maybe I'm learning Go or, or one of the other languages and see that Hey, there's there's some issues that this developer hasn't gotten around to, and then because that because those issues are 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 public, you can actually go in and help make con- contributions to the developer's roadmap. That's a great point, Eric. And right now, I'm learning uh, a couple of new uh, programming languages, so I'm taking the time to learn both Go and Rust. And I've been eyeing a few projects with tags uh, just like that on GitHub and GitLab that are written in those languages. And I feel like it's going to be a good way for me to really dip my toe in into those languages. You know, what thought just occurred to me that something we should look into doing is marketing. You talk about learning new programming languages, and I've been spending a lot of my learning time over the last couple of months learning about branding and marketing and campaigns and all this kind of stuff. And and if I could go out and look at some of the projects that I use on a daily basis and they if those issue boards had a marketing or or some kind of a people focused section of of their issue board you could post that i could really use someone to create a video tutorial on how to do this in my application so if if you actually created issues then folks that do content creation can come along and have an easy way to to contribute back because you may be a developer and you may not be an eloquent speaker but someone that comes along that does content that has has a webcam, has a video capture card, has a microphone that is looking for ideas to create content could go in and and record those tutorials and submit them back to you. So, I mean, this is something that I haven't seen projects do. I haven't seen them do that either. I think a lot of it has to do with people. You know, if you find open source tools that you like and that make you more productive, go join their communities and go help out. If you're a marketer and you really like uh, a tool and you think that they need to promote it because it's that awesome, do it. Go reach out to them on their forums or issue boards, IRC, Matrix, Telegram, wherever they are doing communication. I think that's the, a great way for non-developers, especially in that field, can definitely help the open source community. Another great way to help in the open source community is documentation, open bugs, help out if it, it wherever there are gaps. So I, I am actually surprised when you when you think about the community is more than code, when you think about the community is people. I'm surprised that things like community engagement and marketing isn't more uh, prevalent on, on issue boards or with projects, uh, but maybe now it will be. If you're not sure where to get started, I, I would I would take a page out of my own book and, and share it. 
as I was as I was making the transition off of off of Mac OS and and onto open source platforms, I would just get get engaged in some of these communities, whether it was an IRC or an issue board. And I would help folks work through the same problems that I had. You know, you just keep an eye on it. You idle in those channels. And, and when you say, hey, I had that problem and, and here's the solution. Let me go find let me go find the blog post that helped me fix that issue. So if you just start by helping others learn what you already know, that's a great way to get started. And I cannot tell you how many times I've had developers reach out to me and say, thank you so much for, for offering that, that, that little tidbit. It would have taken me days to research what, they, what their setup was and, and help them troubleshoot the issue, but you, you'd already solved that problem. So thank you very much for jumping in and, and helping me out. And, and that's, that's an amazing way that you can contribute back. If you use a project and you rely on it on a daily basis, no matter how big or how small the project is, send them some gratitude. Just say, hey, I, I really like what you're using. Thank you so much. Um, I told all of my friends about it. Just show some gratitude. And sometimes that, that gratitude can go a step further. A lot of open source developers do this in their free time. It's a hobby. It's, it's something, it's an itch that they want to scratch. It's, it's a passion that they have, but it, it, they, they can't live off of it. And, and we all know that the more time in a week that you focus on a task, the better you're going to get at it. And, and the smoother that process will go. It's most open source developers' dreams to be able to focus on their on their passion project full time. And, and they can't do that because they have bills to pay. And, and that's where some of the funding models have, have sprung up around open source. LibrePay and, and Patreon are, are two of the big ones that I can think of off the top of my head. I, I know of a number of projects that, that I've, I've submitted money to um, on a monthly basis or on, as a one-time gift and just said, hey, thank you. Here's some money. Go take your spouse out for dinner. Currently, I am, I've been doing this now for, I think it's been at least two years now, migrated off Evernote to Joplin Notes. And I, in, instead of giving Evernote whatever I was paying them, I think it was five, seven dollars a month. I am now giving uh, the Joplin maintainer that, that money I was sending off to Evernote. That is a perfect example of how we can fund these developers to work on their projects. We, we pay these cloud services 40, 50, 60 bucks a year, and we don't even think about it. But then we use an open source alternative. And, and I, I completely relate to this because I, I moved from Evernote to Joplin, and I love it. I'm very, very, I, I, I love Joplin. Actually, some of, my, some of my show notes are in Joplin right now. And being able to take that five or six or seven dollars that I would spend on a cloud service to then be able to not only own my own data and be a part of that process, but to take that money that I was paying some company and give it to a developer, that's huge. You know, sticking with like the end user side in our friends over at the Elementary OS project, you know, they've built a whole funding model. For those of you that don't know, Elementary OS is a Linux distribution. Their development team is one of the most active in open source. And what they've done is really unique from my perspective. They've actually built an app store into their distribution. And you have the ability when you download an open source project to install on your system, you have the ability right then and there to donate to that developer. A developer just goes in, sets up a, a sets up their, their developer account, inputs financial information. And so you can donate either on install or at upgrade milestones. You can actually, it'll actually ask you if you want to donate money to the developer. And vast percentage of of that money goes straight to the developer it does it's, it's it doesn't go off to some some mysterious corporation who takes 30 or 40 percent pretty much all of that ends up in the developer's pocket that's awesome more distributions need to do something like that and i i hope that becomes a, a standard across uh, many distributions 
you know, our podcast is focused on enterprise open source. And like last week, I talked about a, co- a new company called Tidelift. And Tidelift is another one of those funding models. If you're a director of IT or, or director of software development, and you and you can't get um, support from like a Red Hat or someone else for for a particular open source library or project that you use on a day to day basis, and your business relies on it. If they're if they have a funding model around uh, around the maintainer of that project, go take a look at Tidelift. It may sound like they're sponsoring the show because I've now brought them up twice, but <laughs> they are a great. Their, their model, I really do think, is one of the future models for uh, keeping open source going. That is an approach that is just going to snowball because the more of these developers we can get plugged into funding models, the more, the more folks that'll stop paying for third-party proprietary cloud offerings and instead donate that money to these open source projects, we're just going to see open source get better and better and better, and it'll become more and more appealing to people that write code because of the community, because you get so many more eyes on your on your code and on your project. It, it, it's just a snowball effect. So something that we inadvertently touched on in the last episode, I think is going to become a recurring theme here at the Pseudo Show. It, it's one thing for Brandon and I to, to have these conversations by ourselves late into the night. It's another thing for Brandon and I to record these conversations and share them with all of you. But I don't feel like we'll be doing the community any justice unless we're actually driving towards something, almost a call to action. I think based on the conversations that we've had over the past couple of weeks with with the community and with with what we've covered today, I think the call to action is is fairly obvious. I think the most basic principle of, of today's episode is just use open source. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I highly recommend it, uh, everyone use Linux full time. But you know what? Linux isn't for everyone. I've had uh, instances, I mean, just this week where I had to get Windows up and running to so I could collaborate better with uh, uh, partners because uh, I needed Microsoft Word and Microsoft PowerPoint. I mean, it just is the nature of the job. But like if you need to use Windows in your day job, use WSL if it's an option. You know, one of the companies I used to work at, I wasn't around to run Linux on my laptop, but I could run it as a VM. I mean, that, that could be another option. The, the couple of jobs I had before I came to Red Hat, I was allowed to use a Mac. What's nice about that is that a lot of these open source projects are becoming cross-platform. And a lot of the applications that I used on my home system on Linux were also available for Mac because a lot of the code bases are fairly similar. So if, if you do love using Linux on, on the desktop and, and, you, and your work allows you to use a Mac, then at least you can still get access to those open source projects. Yeah, and a lot of those open source projects I use day to day are cross-platform. All of them are good platforms in their own right. You know, use the tool that works best, but try to default to open source wherever possible. I, I think another key takeaway from today's episode is connect with the community. It's, it's one thing to just install Linux, install these projects, and use it, and then you hit a bug and go, "Well, this this is terrible. This is trash. I'm never going to use this project again." Instead, connect with the community. Maybe it's an easy fix, or maybe the developer doesn't have your use case in mind. And if you share that back, if you contribute that that bug report, you're going to be able to improve the project just by sharing your own experiences. Exactly. You know, connect with them in IRC, Telegram, Matrix. 
If you don't have a community to connect to right away, head on over to Matrix and join the Pseudo Show chat room. You know, and of course, big call to action here, give back. Develop code if you can. Every project needs more hands. Some projects, it's a one-man show. Some of them, it might be two or three people, if they are lucky. You know, not all projects are Linux. Not all projects are Kubernetes, where there's hundreds of developers looking at the code. Contribute to projects that affect you. Not all contributions are code. It could be documentation. It could be uh, just submitting a bug report or a feature request. So if you're if you're taking notes, call to action number four is a personal pet peeve of mine. If you're a veteran in this community, don't be a jerk. I cannot say it any simpler. You go into certain platforms within the community and you find that it's just, it's all flame wars. It's, it's people that are hooked on this concept of, of distro wars or one language is trash and another one is, is perfect. Just remember when you're communicating in those environments, you were once new too. There, there was a time where you didn't know a, line, a single line of code. There was a day when you couldn't deploy Hello World to save your life. If you really want to know one of my pet peeves, RTFM is not an acceptable answer. Let me tell you. I don't know how many times I've seen new people asking for honest advice and reading the manual is not, is not a great answer. I've, I've been around and I know my way around Linux and open source projects and I know my way around Git and I can compile my own applications, but sometimes documentation is written so that the developer knows how to, how to manage it. But someone with, with a systems administrator mind or someone with a project manager mindset may not be able to parse through all the technical lingo. And so it's kind of funny because as I was speaking, I was thinking about this whole distro wars thing. It, it doesn't really exist anymore. Think about this. In fact, in the news, just, just not too long ago, uh, KDE and GitLab announced a partnership. So the KDE Plasma project is moving over to GitLab. You know who told them about GitLab and how amazing it was? The GNOME Foundation. <laughs> so you've, you've got GNOME and, and Plasma, two of the most popular desktop environments for Linux, are now both running under GitLab because they met at a conference a couple of years ago in Denver, Colorado, where I happened to be there helping promote the conference and helping manage social media. And they were talking about the, these two desktop environments that are supposedly at each other's throats all the time were sitting down and sharing ideas. One of the main speakers was a KDE developer at a GNOME-sponsored conference. That is the community in action. There aren't these distro wars. It just it doesn't need to be there. We're a community. Choice is one of the advantages that Linux has over the one Windows desktop, the one Mac OS desktop. Linux has choice, and that choice makes us better. And now that you have distributions and you have desktop environments and you've got projects that in an enterprise space would be competing are actually working together, making each other better, sharing ideas, looking at each other's code, more eyes in the open source community is better. If you're new, be patient. It takes time to get involved in an open source community. You know, if you're a developer, your first pull request will likely get rejected. Don't let that discourage you. In the meantime, help out where you can, try out different roles, try out different projects and find where you can best uh, help out in that community. We, we pretty much took our outline for this show and just threw it away. But I, I feel like it was a conversation that needed to be had. I, I feel like this is something that the community needs to hear from time to time to remember why we all do what we do, why we spend so many hours doing something that actually doesn't make most of us any money. 
So thank you so much for joining us. I, I, I hope this was beneficial. And based on based on the conversations that sprouted last week in our matrix room, I'm really excited to see the conversations after this episode. Thank you so much for joining us today. Your feedback is obviously welcome. Head on over to pseudo.show slash discuss to become part of the conversation. It's powered by Discourse, an open source forum managed by the Destination Linux Network. Ask questions, share ideas, and get connected with our rapidly growing community. If you would like more of our content, you can find it over at pseudo.show and on Twitter at pseudoshowpodcast. You can catch more awesome content over at our network partners, destinationlinux.network, where there are shows like the Ask Noah Show, where folks can call into a live radio show and ask questions about business and tech. Brandon, anywhere else you'd like to send folks? You can follow me on Twitter at dbrandonjohnson or my website at open-tech.net. And you can follow me at ITGuyEric or on itguyeric.com. Remember, the Pseudo Show is your place for all things enterprise open source. Until next time.